0: Hello everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Let's Talk Boxing. Um, Luke's away this week, so we're joined by a very, very special guest. We've got Scott from Southwest Boxing Media filling in. How are we doing, Scott?
1: I'm doing uh, doing great. Thanks, you. How, how are you?
0: Yeah, very good, mate. Very good. Thanks for joining us this week. It's a uh, a busy week as we get back with uh, Eddie Hearn's fight camps, of course. But uh, first, I just wanted to get your opinions on some of the news. Uh, some of we do tend to do this week in boxing and. Uh, well, as always in boxing, we've got some absolutely fantastic uh, stuff to talk about. And first is the, uh, you know, the official comeback of Iron Mike Tyson.
1: Yeah, um, mixed reviews, I think, is um, fair and saying. Some are obviously very much for it. Some are dead against it. I find myself somewhere in the middle of that division, not sitting on the fence, but just because I don't really know what on earth is happening, whether it's going to be, you know, uh, they're going to come out and try to take the, each other's heads off or whether it's going to be a proper exhibition. Uh, I mean, where, where do you find yourself, Ew? I, I have the exact same opinion, really, because um, I find it hard to
0: believe that Roy Jones Jr. is just going to go and, uh, and take it easy and have a bit of a move around. And the same with Tyson. I think they're very intense individuals. And I think it might be hard to kind of get that, that exhibition feel, you know, the way Ali used to play around with it. And they're, they're not those kind of guys. They're,
1: you know, the killers in
0: the ring, really. And, I think and quite, of, and
1: both, both. I can't imagine the one will lie down while the other one wins. Do you know what I mean? That's what I mean, exactly. They're not They're
0: not those kind of, they've got egos. They've got that, that they want to prove that they're still killers. And that, that doesn't sit easy with me when we consider their ages as well. But obviously, Roy Jones Jr. was a little bit out of the blue. You know, we'd had talk of, you know, everything from John Fury to NBA players and every, everything in between. But what do you think of, of Roy Jones as the opponent?
1: Um, bit of a strange one. Uh, obviously, you can argue that he won a heavyweight world title, didn't he? But you don't look at, you don't look at Roy Jones and say he's a heavyweight, you? You look at Tyson and you say Tyson is a heavyweight. You don't look at Roy Jones and, and think that, in my opinion. So I found it a bit of a strange one. I thought it was going to be Shannon Briggs because there was a lot of momentum around that, wasn't it? And I think that would sort of make more sense. But, yeah, I, f- I find the Roy Jones one a bit a bit of a weird one. Also because he's a bit younger as well. I sort of would have preferred it, preferably, if both heavyweights could be around the same age. So there's not a real advantage, you know, on the, on the other opponent.
0: Yeah. I mean, you say about the size, but actually Roy Jones Jr. is taller than Mike Tyson. Uh, People forget how small Tyson was for a heavyweight. He's only listed at 5'10", and uh, Jones Jr. is listed at 5'11". So, I mean, I think on the night they shouldn't be too much different in size, but obviously, like you say, he didn't win a legitimate world title. He beat John Ruiz in a, a bit of a farcical matchup from a couple of big cruiserweights, really. But. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think the the other thing that needs to be taken into consideration are the, are the rules because I've been hearing that there's a referee who's going to monitor the competitiveness and there won't be any judges and things like that. And I don't know what what's
1: your take on kind of what rules they
0: should operate under.
1: Um, well, I have heard it there is eight rounds. Um, I've heard that the gloves are bigger. There's going to be no judges. So if it goes the distance, there's a draw, no matter what happens. Um, uh, I, uh, it's sort of a little bit farcical. That's my opinion on it. Um, I don't quite know. I, I just get the impression they they don't really know what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? Nobody's coming out and saying, right, this is what's going to happen. It's all a little bit all up in the air at the moment with the rules, with the fight, with everything. Um, Yeah, it's just a bit of a strange one, I think.
0: I agree it's a it's a bizarre bizarre state of affairs but it seems to be gaining a lot of mainstream traction you know Tyson's been on the talk shows and they had a, a press event that was kind of them signing the contracts and things like that I, what yeah. is it do you think that is the reason that especially Tyson just endures as this pop culture figure I know Ali and people like that endured but Tyson you know he wasn't he's not particularly charismatic he wasn't one of the greatest fighters of all time but he just has a transcendent effect on boxing and culture, which is kind of completely unheard of. You know, boxers don't do that anymore. What, what do you think about it is about Tyson? That's kind of that because
1: people are still interested in he's 54. I don't, I don't get it myself. I think people, people love a bad boy, do there. You know, it, it's just, it's, he just writes headlines just on his own. He's come out and he said some crazy things. Obviously we won't go too much into his personal life because obviously that was a little bit crazy as well. I just think, the problem with Tyson was, obviously, he went to prison for a while. Then he came back and people got excited. And I, I just think people always want to see that 1980s Mike Tyson. And I, I, just, I just don't think he's he's hit the heights like he did back then. I think people are still clamoring on to the, the sort of nostalgia of, of boxing. I mean, his last two fights, he obviously lost the need to, to a Brit, Danny Williams. I mean, it wasn't a great fight, obviously. I just think people people are just intrigued by his such an intense personality. He's such like well, he's known, isn't he? as the baddest guy on the planet. I mean, what isn't what what isn't you know, what isn't there to like about that? What isn't there, why wouldn't you want to watch that? Uh and he's I think also he's such like um he's such an aggressive, nasty guy that you just I don't know, I just find I think everybody just finds him enthralling, you know?
0: Yeah, well, sixteen years to the day, actually, uh,
1: recording this podcast since uh, Danny Williams landed
0: twenty-five unanswered punches in Louisville, Kentucky to stop Mike Tyson. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think there is that the kind of the element of wanting to see that that kind of gnarled, Sunny Liston-esque, you know, the Jack Dempsey-type heavyweights, where all it's it's all about aggressiveness and knockouts, and we haven't really seen that since. You know, we had the, the likes no. of Deontay Wilder and. But the scientific heavyweight has prevailed. You know, your Lennox, Lewis, Vladimir Klitschko, Tyson Fury types have prevailed in modern boxing. Maybe that's, that's where the Tyson nostalgia comes from. But, yeah, I don't know. I think that if you can't beat Danny Williams 16 years yeah. ago, I don't think uh, elite heavyweights are your bag. But moving <laughs> on towards elite heavyweights, Joe Joyce was back out of the weekend. How did you see the juggernauts' performance?
1: Do you know what? I thought he got hit a heck of a lot. In the first round, I was watching, thinking, "God, I know," you know. He even admitting himself, he was a bit portly on the waist. So he's a stone heavier than what he was, which is expected. Lockdown, we've all put a bit of weight on, and I have anyway. And uh, yeah, I just thought round one, Walsh hit him, you know, clean on the chin a few times, and I thought, mate, you don't really want to be, you don't really want to be giving Daniel Dubois that amount of leeway in a fight because. I think as good as Joe Joyce's chin is, I think if you get, you know, if you get cracked a few times by Daniel Dubois on round one on the chin like that, I think it could be like setting game over. But, you know, a win. He did well. Three rounds. Got him out of there early. It's so whatever we thought. You know, and he moves on, moves on to the, the fight that we want to see and hopefully can get back down to the, get back to his natural weight. Yeah,
0: I agree. I feel, like, I feel like he was, you know, obviously out of shape. I think most people can agree that he wasn't in, you know, the, the shape we normally see him in. But at the same time, I do actually want to praise him because I thought that once he got hit and once he kind of realised he was in a fight, he seemed to be yeah. treating it like a sparring session to begin with. But then as soon as he yeah. kind of got his head in the game and thought, oh no, I'm actually, this is a serious fight, this guy's going to try and hurt me. He just went through the gears that Wallyish couldn't do and, you know, he, you know, head, body, head. Upstairs, downstairs, just went back to basics, and you know, really did a number on him. And I think that that kind of ability to go through the gears, even when you're not feeling it, is uh, yeah. something that all the best fighters can do. You see, with Tyson Fury, time and time again, he's in an easy fight and he's not having to pay attention or whatever. He doesn't go through those gears. Whereas against Wilder, when it was a real, you know, in the second fight, when it was a real dangerous fight, you know, he just stepped up through those gears and uh, and Wilder couldn't couldn't face it. And obviously, this is a far lower level, but. To see him be able to do that and find those extra gears when he needed them, even if he wasn't in a in shape enough to kind of find them, to the point where it's a twelve round fitness or whatever, but he did. He just switched it up and thought, actually, no, this guy shouldn't be in with me, and and uh, and made a made a spectacular finish in the end. So I th- I thought it was all around quite good for Joyce, and it just makes me more excited for that Dubois fight.
1: Yeah, definitely. De- I I've got to say as well, it must be quite difficult for both Daniel Dubois and Joe Joyce. You know, the, the pressure that they must be thinking, don't slip up, don't slip up. We, you know, they both can't afford, can they, to get to, to lose either fight because they're going to miss out on a massive payday. So the pressure that must be on them, knowing that they are expected to win easy, you know, and then to go into that fight, that must be really difficult for, for them psychologically, I think, going into the, into the fight, let alone having to withstand the punches.
0: And I'm sure it's not just them putting that pressure on themselves. I'm pretty sure Uncle Frank will be hammering away <laughs> Hammering away, you do not get beat because Frank Warren's entire business model seems to be hinging on that Joyce Dubois happens this year. I think it's uh, yeah. I think it's absolutely integral to Queensbury Promotions. But uh, lower down that card, you also had Chris Bork picking up the um, the central area title. I thought he did very very well.
1: Yeah, it was. Do you know what? It's one of those fights that I know as boxing fans, we love to see you know the the needle, don't we, and the and and the spitefulness and the build-up, but. I love the fact that, you know, afterwards, both guys are so respectful, even on social media, you know, they both come out and praise each other. Uh, it, it was a great fight. And it's a shame because I, I wanted both guys to win, but obviously that, that can't happen. But, yeah, I thought Chris Bork did did really well, you know, moving to 8-0, still only 25. So he's got, you know, you would like to think a few years left in him yet. Uh, yeah, I mean, it sort of makes that Brad Foster potential fight, uh interesting, but I think we've said on Into Live, didn't we, well, that maybe Brad's a bit bit beyond British level now. But yeah, I mean I I really like Chris Bork. I think I thought he did really well. And I thought it was a fantastic fight. Did did you enjoy it? I did, yeah. I thought it was I thought it was one of those
0: where it, it took a bit of it took a little bit of time just to find to find the rhythm and I think but I think Bork managed to kind of impose himself on the fight and I thought he did better at setting the tempo. I thought that that was one of the reasons he was able to kind of establish that dominance was, you know, making sure he, it, the fight was being fought at his pace. You know, it, it never looked like he was getting yeah. away from him. Um, but yeah, no, I think he's a really good little addition to that super bantamweight uh, fold, the British fold. You know, you've got the likes of Gamal u Kash Cash Ashback, Brad Foster, who you mentioned. You know, there's a lot of good names up there, kind of top five, top ten, and I think that I don't think it sets Mahmoud back that far, but I think Bork's pushed himself right forward. I think that central area belt, he won't be hanging on to it for long. He'll be looking for British Commonwealth shots. You know, if Brad Foster does move on, you know, maybe Gamalya Fai, Kashash for that British title. I think they're great fights. Um, I think it's a, a good little division domestically and on the world stage. And I think that, you know, guys like that, why not get them pushing forward and uh, and
1: seeing what they can do on a bigger stage? Yeah, definitely. Especially, you know, with lockdown, with so many boxers not getting paid, it sort of makes more sense now, doesn't it? To sort of put them in together, doing a bit of money. And, you know, that's as boxing fans, we can't, we can't complain about that, can we? Absolutely not, no.
0: Um, but, right, we'll move into, obviously, this week, the big news is fight camps. It's the first week as of Saturday, you know, beginning of August, the beginning of a new chapter in British Boxing. Eddie Earns, and Matchroom, Square Garden, as they've been calling it, uh, <laughs> we are, we have five fights, and I just want to get your take and uh, prediction, and we'll go through each of these fights, because there are some absolute crackers on here.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I on Twitter today, I saw, uh, I think it was Frank Smith put it out, and it, it looks, i got to say, mighty, mighty impressive, and... Uh, I, I've just been counting down, you know, you know, and there's like a big fight. I, you must, I know you do this as well as a boxing fan. It's, it's, you count down days, you're like, oh, all right, you know, it's, it's two weeks away now from fight camp. It's a week away from fight camp. And now it's like, oh, it's on Saturday. And I think, I'm just absolutely buzzing. I'm just, I am just, matchroom shows are fantastic. I'm just, I'm just really, really buzzing, buzzing to see uh, it. I'm, I'm,
0: I'm in the same boat. I think it's very, very... It looks very slick, and if Frank Warren can do a slick job, I'm sure Eddie can do one as well. And that vista across London, you know, where you can see the Shard and Canary Wharf yeah. in the background, I think they're going to they're going to really milk the best out of the out of the setting. Uh, and I think that Eddie and the Sky cameras will be able to capture a a real spectacle of boxing, something that we haven't really seen. You know, outdoor events are not the norm anymore. You know, uh, you know, I look back at a lot of boxing history, and you know, a lot of the great fights were on the, at the polo grounds in New York and these big big outdoor yeah. venues. And I think that it's going to have a kind of a sense of theater, which is more akin to those old fights, you know, something that we sometimes lose in the, the kind of the black drab arenas that was, you know, it was Madonna last night and it's the snooker tomorrow. <laughs> I think that yeah, yeah, yeah. this this kind of setting will really bring the best out of some of these fighters because of that kind of that theatrical element. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, so first up, we've got Dalton Smith, um, who is going to be making his, you know, big stage debut. Um He's fighting a lad that's nine and one, but obviously we all know Dalton Smith's the main attraction. How do you rate his skills having come over from being a standout amateur?
1: Uh well he, he looks you know, he looks fantastic, doesn't he? Let's be honest. You know, he's only five fights in. So I think it's quite you know, I think it's quite ballsy of him. You know, he's he's you know, five and oh he's taken on Nathan Bennett who he's going to come there to fight, he's not, he's no nowhere near a journeyman or anything like that, so I think five fights in, taking that shows, is a bit of a statement of intent from Dalton Smith, and, you know, it it could be a potential banana skin. I'm not going to come out and say that it is, but, I mean, Nathan Bennett is a very, very good fighter, um, so fair play to Dalton Smith for coming out, and, um, I'm taking that on. Yeah, moving up to eight
0: rounds as well. Be his first eight rounder. I think that that will offer a kind of challenge in itself, especially Bennett. You know, he's he's coming out yeah. of Liverpool, and apparently, you know, Bell. You spoke very highly of the training camp. Said he's going to be ultra fit. You know, that that length can sometimes be a problem when you're only four, five, and oh, you know, coming over from the amateur game where you're fighting for far short periods of yeah. time.
1: I mean, I think it's a Nathan Bennett's first eight oh, as right, well. I think. Um,
0: that's I did not know that, but there we go. Anyway, I think it's I think it's just a perfect move from Dalton Smith in terms of yeah that intent and that you know Eddie keeps talking about the no easy fights. I think why not have a bit of a a bit of a challenge, a bit of a step up, even though Dalton Smith would normally be having proper ten count fights at this stage.
1: Yeah, I mean just go look back at, at Dalton's record. Really, you've got you know fighters on there zero one and zero. You've got some on there that are you know got you know. Hundred losses, so I I just think it's same The times I don't think boxers, especially now. Can you imagine Eddie Hearn putting on Dalton Smith versus some like Lithuanian taxi driver who's had four hundred losses? People would be a bit like, I thought I thought this had gone now because of lockdown. All these fighters like Eddie's come out and said all these fighters need need fights. I I just don't think he would have been able to to put him in there with a sort of a no win an, and a no name European. So. It just makes perfect sense, and I just think it adds it adds drama to the night, and and you know I'm I'm really really looking forward to all the fights.
0: Yeah, I, I think it. There is a, a broader point there about you know about where the kind of the status of journeymen in this kind of post-COVID boxing world live, and do you think it's irreparably changed the kind of small hall structure of British
1: boxing? Well, you know. Smaller shows are known, aren't they, even if they, you know, even if they sell more so tickets, they break breaking even. And I think with this sort of COVID-19, you know, social distancing, I think it's pretty much ruined it for the time being. And um, Even when you look at the mega fights at Pool Eleven AJ, you know, it was scheduled for, you know, Spurs Stadium, isn't it? What, 80,000 people? Now they've seen about they putting in the O2 with social distancing, possibly having up to 10,000. So when you think of the dramatic impact it's had on a mega fight to thinking of the impact it's gonna have on small hall shows, I think is pretty much like you said possibly irreparable
0: it's a It's a crazy time that we live in, in in the world and in boxing um but then we move on, we've got Gil Belotti next, which for my money is the best the best fight camps fight. I think this one can only catch fire. Obviously, Jordan Gill coming off the back of that bizarre loss to Tinoco, where he wasn't well, and he's had all these health complications. And then the redemption road for Reese Bellotti—you know, two of the brightest prospects of about two years ago—who've fallen on some harder times of late. But now they're going to, you know, try and use each other as the springboard to rejuvenate their careers. How do you see that one, Scott?
1: Yeah, it's one of those—it's one of those fights, isn't it? Where I sort of feel sorry for either. For for either person, you know, who loses because I like them both, but you just get that you get that impression, don't you, that a loss year for either fighter sets them back quite a long way. Um, you know, Gil, you know, obviously trained by Dave Corwell, such a such a bright future ahead of him. There was, you know crazy things being talked about, and then obviously like you said, he he comes, he you know suffers his first loss. Pilotti's, you know, also got three losses. I think both men have to go into this fight basically thinking, you know, I can't afford to lose this fight. I have to win this fight. And that, for me, just adds so much more to the fight than just, you know, a, two very, very good British fighters.
0: I totally agree. I think that the kind of the, the, the trajectory of both men is more extreme than any other fight on, on this card especially mm. is, if you lose this fight you fall further than anybody else who loses on this card, if you win you jump higher than yeah, anybody definitely. else on this card I think it's, I think absolutely <laughs> if yeah. Spolotti comes in and cleans Jordan Gill out he explodes forward wow. into the stratosphere that he couldn't comprehend a year ago and exactly the same thing for for uh, jo- for Jordan Gill if he, if he manages to get a win and win well I think that it is that springboard. And if you falter at the springboard, you're going to fall very, very far. I think that, obviously, Jordan has had a long career and he's been stop-start injuries and, you know, slogging, selling tickets. And it's been a long, hard road. And I think this might be his his coming-out party. The the one that was meant to be in uh, when he fought Tonoko in uh, Nottingham. I think he's going to get his redemption for that night. I think that he is eyes on the prize for this springboard. And I think that he can't miss.
1: Yeah, definitely, and I just think he's in the he's in a position where he you know he has to, he has to win this fight. You know, I ca- I can't imagine what Eddie's going to think that you know if if he suffers another loss, I don't know where he's going to put him. So yeah, it's uh, it could be an absolute crap. I agree. I think. And
0: stylistically, exactly the same. Obviously, Jordan Gill is you know he's a
1: slick boxer puncher.
0: He's you know him and Caldwell have those those footwork drills down. He's in and out. He's always working, constantly in motion. And then you've got Reese Bellotti, who is the polar opposite. He's a big old puncher. He can box as well, but he likes the inside. He likes to scrap and he likes the land of bomb. I think that those styles can absolutely gel. And I think for me, that obviously I always favour the boxer in those matchups. But you know, who 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 mm. do you give a better chance at this weight class for having a puncher's chance than Reese Bellotti? Yeah, definitely, mate. I think I think, it, I think that one is the one to watch. Uh, that's the sleeper for me. I think that you can't miss out on that one.
1: <laughs> is it quite early on? Is it one of the first? I, I believe think it's, the, it's the first. first.
0: I've, I've swapped it around in my listing because obviously I think Dalton Smith will be the float for if there's a uh, for if there's a, yeah. uh, an early stoppage. But yeah, I believe that Gil Belotti is opening up, which I think is an absolute masterstroke from Eddie. Because, you know, we take the, in the UFC, they often have uh, what they call a curtain jerk to open the main card. And they always put a good fight there, even if it's, uh, you know, a more higher profile fight than the ones after it, to try and grab that audience and yeah. keep them, you know, the casual sport audience who I know the boxing fans deride, but ultimately they're the ones that pay everyone. So I think that it's an absolute masterstroke to say, we're going to have a brilliant fight on first. So, you know, football's over, you know, we think, oh, we'll have a look, see what this boxing lark's about. And then, it's a great <laughs> fight, and then you've pulled them in for the whole show. Then I think it's I think it's genius business from Eddie.
1: I just think, do you know what? This shows if this is the if this is the opening fight, if this is a Frank Warren card, that fight would headline. Is that fight better than anything that Frank
0: Warren's had so far?
1: I possibly let's have a little think. Obviously, well. You know, Brad Foster, I mean, this, it's, it runs it close, isn't it? I mean, you can't say that Joe Joyce-Wallish is anything to get excited about, really. So I th- I think it would potentially be up there with the with, the, with the Brad Foster fight. And and this is Eddie's opening fight. So it's sort of, in a, in a way, it shows a little bit of dominance there, isn't it? I don't know if people might disagree with me, but... But, again yeah, I don't want to slide working. Frank Warren
0: off and I know that was a very loaded question I've pushed you no, in front of the bus I... with that one a little bit because it, it is a bit of a loaded question <laughs> but I actually I'm in the same boat and I hadn't thought about it until we've just spoken now and I genuinely believe that that, that is better than anything Frank Warren's put on and it's the first fight and I think that mm. although again I, I'm not one of those who I, I don't have any allegiances to promoters I don't care as long, but yeah, If you're putting on the best here. fights, if you're putting on the best fights, you've got to get the credit for that. And actually that Gil Bellotti is as good, if not better, than anything Frank Warren's put on. And that was you know, he had this his first opening main event. Yeah, you know, it was it was a good British title fight, but even though this one's not got a belt, it's a better fight and it's probably a higher level fight. You know, Jordan Gill was right on the verge mm. of that European level when he got beat by Tinoco. Tinoco was a former world title challenger, you know what I mean? He was they were they were on the way up, and I think that obviously Bellotti's been at that British level. I think that this is an absolutely barnstorm fight, and yeah, don't miss it. Would be my uh, my only word of advice. <laughs> so Couldn't next we've got the big boys, the heavyweights. The first, you know, the first time we've got to see Simon Villilli up at heavyweight, and he's taking on Dylan White's protege uh, Fabio Wardley. How do you see this one? Uh, English heavyweight title fight. How do you see that one Scott?
1: Um, Do you know what? I th- I thought this is another like you, I like the phrase he use there sleeper. I I saw this. and thought you know what that could be such a such a great fight, and it's been, I think it's been made even better. I don't know if you saw it today you, but the AFL TV have just put out the sort of the the press conference the face up between the two of them. I have managed it. to
0: watch it, but I I have just seen on
1: Fabio, I've just seen on Fabio's <laughs> Instagram
0: there him with his mustache that taking the mickey out of Simon Villelli
1: Yeah 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 yeah. Um, I think it's a great fight. Um, questions for both men. You know, Fabio Wardley, always oh, only had eight fights. As Valili said, I mean, you've just, you know, you've knocked out journeymen, you've not knocked anybody out, and you can't help but agree with that. Uh, so, the question is, this is the first test of Fabio Wardley, how is he going to phase? Then you've got, obviously, Valili was a cruiser, sort of moving, and now up into, into the heavyweight division. So, can he stick it at the heavyweight division? Just been sparring Martin McCauley, which I think is a is a great idea going into this fight. Yeah, um, I think it could be uh, either over very quickly, or it could be an absolute war. Uh, I I totally agree. I think
0: it's I think it's got the makings of of something that could be quite special. And just I know I know I'm not talking to Simon Bellili, but at the same time he's not fought anyone either. You know his wins at, his two two big wins at heavyweight Tony no. Darch and Phil Williams who are not. Uh, you know, for for all of their all of their both lovely fellas, but they're not they're not the next heavyweight champion of the world, are they? Um,
1: yeah, I mean, I know he's obviously fought Breeders at the cruiser, but you know, that's it was a different weight class, way class isn't
0: it? and it, uh, and he didn't fare very well in that fight. <laughs> um, but <laughs> no. no, I I'm a massive Fabio Wardley fan. I've made nowhere, uh, I've made no bones about that. I've spoken to him before now, and he is one of the most eloquent, one of the most interesting individuals I've ever spoken to in boxing. He's He's got a kind of cerebral element about him, which is very rare. You know, you you see it in some of the best fighters, and I'm not suggesting that that Fabio Wardley is up there, but you kind of that cerebral element when they talk about fighting, the the eloquence with which they explain how they go about things, is very rare, and you see it in some of the Ukrainians when they speak, and you see it, and you obviously yeah. saw it in the Klitschko brothers when they were when they were reigning supreme, that analytical way of approaching the fight game and I see that in Fabio Wardley and I know it's I know that they are big claims and big comparisons but that's genuinely how I see him as a as an individual
1: and he's got to a... do you think do you think he's got to go and knock for Lily out or do you think uh you know a, a points victory is enough for this sort of uh Dinosaur, I think yeah. for, at
0: this point, I tell you what: if this was happening in the York Hall on a Saturday night, or if it was the you know third fight down in Liverpool or Newcastle, like it was meant to be, um, then a point mm. to win is absolutely fine. But we're in Eddie's back garden; the eyes of the world are watching. I think it's I think it's a heavyweight yeah. demolition job. I think if you want to be the man that is being talked about at the end of this night you've got to get the knockout. You've got to make, got a, to make statement. a statement. Like you say, Valili's been stopped. He's been stopped twice. Craig Glover knocked him out massive with a big, big shot in Newcastle. You know, and if Craig, yeah. Craig Glover's a 14 stone four, he's a lot smaller than Fabio Wardley. If he can do it, you should be able to do it too. Um, Valili, though, again, I, I know we're talking about the knockout. We're talking about points. I don't think we should be writing off Simon Valili. You know, he was a podium squad member of, of the Commonwealth Games. You know, you don't get there by accident. He was a good yeah. boxer. He was sparred Bellew for the Hay fights. You know, he's a good, good boxer. He's got good pedigree. Um, Rob McCracken was a big fan of him when he was in the England set up. Um, I think that Valili obviously is his prison and his antics outside the ring haven't helped his career, but we shouldn't be writing him off. He's a very
1: yeah. good boxer. Yeah, definitely. And, uh... Yeah, I tell you what, I'm getting more excited now. We're in the more as we go as we go to these fights. I can't wait exactly. any more uh, now. But again, just a, a last stylistic point. I think that people are
0: saying that you know Valili's a bit of a, because he's a bit of a nutter and a bit of a hard man. They think that he'll be the one coming and swinging for the fences, and Wortley will pick him apart. I disagree. I think that Valili's going to get on the back foot and try and box, outbox this kid because he's not got the amateur pedigree. And I think it will be Wardley chasing, but hopefully, and I think he will, I think Wardley will find that big right hand and, uh, and knock Valili over
1: and take his English
0: title and then move on to bigger and better things.
1: Definitely, mate. Uh, where, where do you see, if Wardley does do that, where do you think he, where does he go next? And is he in, into the realms of possibly Dave Allen, Huey Fury, or do you think that's a bit I too he- soon? No, that they are both I think equal he falls the best, right you know, in and in and amongst that mix,
0: actually. I think that obviously you've got the likes of he's ranked 12 with box rec, and you've got the likes of Alan, Gorman, Price, Fury, just above him, Nick Webb as well. Um, I don't mind any of those yeah. names with Fabio Wardley if he wins. Um, I think that probably Dylan White and his management will want to build him more and you know slow him down a little bit because he hasn't got any amateur pedigree. You know, he's young in the game, only had eight fights. This is a big step up. If he wins. It might be a case of trying to get him some more rounds, some more experience, you know, get an experienced operator in to kind of get in those rounds, let him find his flow a bit more. You know, the likes of a maybe a Tomlin yeah. or someone like that to try and, try and allow him to mature as a boxer and mature as a heavyweight. He's only a young man and you know that heavyweights mature slower than most other fighters. You know, it takes them that time to progress. I think that... You know, why not have him in with somebody like uh, uh, Tom Little, get him a few rounds, see where he's at? Because Little will test anybody, he'll throw to the fences. And if you can pass that test, then you can move on to the likes of, you know, Nathan Gorman or Dave Allen, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right, so then we've got the co-main event
0: and it's uh, it's your man, Gavin Gwynn, and he's got a big ask in front of him, the British title against uh, James Tennyson. Just take me through that. I know you've spoken to uh, Gavin Gwynn very recently. Take me through how you see that one.
1: do oh, you know i it's the first time read that I, I I know somebody quite well that's that's going to be boxing, and it's a really, really weird feeling i'm sort of I'm excited and very, very nervous at the same time. Yeah, I just think Gavin is you know he's got a big job in his hands. I think the the Joe Cordina fight proved or proves that you know Gavin can mix it with the best. You know he, he stuck in at the twelve. It was a you know it was a it was a, a very good fight. He gave a great account of himself. You know he's coming. I mean Gavin's got to take some sort of confidence on the fact that you know Tennyson isn't a isn't a lightweight. Obviously he is now, but he's obviously previously fought at super feather and feather. So I think Gavin's got to take some you know confidence in that that Gavin is more of the lightweight. Um, yeah, he's just got to—he's just got to stay out of his way. I think Gavin's got to box him. Like, you know, we know J- James tenson's so heavy-handed. I just hope that, uh, yeah, it is, Gavin makes him more technical. It doesn't, you know, try and go in for the knockout. It uh, just, I think uh, with with slightly yeah, more yeah, impartial eyes, really obviously, you know, yeah, um, How do you see I totally understand.
0: It must be so hard when you've been, you know, in in camp with somebody and really like knowing that person <laughs> and getting close to that individual. It must be really hard. But at the same time, I think I think that uh Tennyson is the rightful favourite. Uh I think he's one of you know he's a big old puncher, you know. And he he's his knockout of Martin Joseph Ward was, you know, stunning. And he, he really shows that he carries that power. And ever since he's lost the farmer, he's been on a streak, you know, he's not gone the distance once. He's looked even harder hitting at lightweight. He's looked the real danger man in that kind of domestic division. There's there's not many people sticking yeah. their hand up to fight. Uh, James Tennyson. I think he's a very, very accomplished professional. But at the same time, the man who did stick his hand up was Gavin Gwynn. And he, he proved in Cordina fight, like I said, that he is tough as old boots, that he's fit, he'll stay in there no matter what. And he's not one that's going to roll over uh, for these prospects, these really, you know, these up-and-comers. He's one of those that he's got, he's got, that ability, he's got that X factor. He's not going to roll over. He's coming to win. He's coming to fight you, and he's not afraid to fight your fight.
1: Definitely, um, obviously being in the gym with him. You know, Tony Borg is obviously a great, a great trainer. Seeing him, you know, seeing Gavin spar with, um, you know, Lee Selby and. I know Lee's obviously liked her, but it, but seeing as far well with Lee Selby. and with another British, uh, a Welsh fighter called Lloyd Germain, is it going to be potentially great? He just, uh, Gavin looks in, you know, unreal shape. I think he said he's something like three, this was back last Friday, he said he was something like £3 over at the moment, which is the fittest he's ever been. And yeah, he just, he does look in, in incredible shape. Obviously, I can't. You know, comment on. I'm sure James Tennyson's also. but again, you he's two or
0: three pound over yeah, six foot, and uh, fighting at 135 really pounds, hope, uh, that's an my
1: achievement.
0: Boy can do it. <laughs> he's a big, big boy, and he's you know he's gonna have the reach advantage. He's gonna have the height advantage, and I think Lee Selby is perfect sparring as far as I'm concerned because I know he is a lighter, a lighter fighter. But at the same time, James Tennyson is the smaller fighter. He is coming up. He is going to be faster, and it's about countering that that speed and that explosiveness that Tennyson's going to bring. Because the power's only bad if you really hit you clean. But if you if you can be big and old man him and and really find a way around that kind of that explosive power, it it's it's uh, that's the way to beat him. And I think that obviously he's been he's been susceptible in the past. Obviously he's been stopped a couple of times. And I think that I think that Gavin Gwynn has a, a real fighting chance in this fight. I, I don't make him the favourite. Obviously I think Tennyson is the favourite, but I think it could be a real great fight, and I think it might be scrappy for a few rounds, but then I think that favours Green if it ends up scrappy. I think that Tennyson might explode into it, but I think it's a really, really, really good fight, and I think it's a really competitive fight.
1: Definitely, and uh, I think the good thing with it, I think if, you know, I know I want this to happen, but if Skyrim does suffer a loss, I think he's at the position where, you know, he can come again, same as James Tennyson. They can both, there's still plenty left out there for them. It's not one of those fights where, you know, it's the end of their career if they lose. So, no, but it, so, yeah, it's I'm one gonna, of those I don't feel like, that's going to give me a TV bit of security as TV well, I think, when I'm watching. Domestic it. <laughs>
0: level British title fights, you think that sometimes, you know, the older guard fella, the underdog person is. Not coming to win, they're coming to survive or whatever. I don't ever fear for that with Gavin Gwynn. I think that he's going to come. And everything I've seen of him, he wants to win. He wants to take that belt home to his little lad. And everything I've seen of him is the right attitude. He's got a fighting attitude in this fight. And I think that that's what's going to make it. You know, Tennyson might have the skills and might be the superior fighter on the night. But I don't ever fear that Gwynn is going to be giving up or looking to survive. He's coming to win that fight. And I think it's going to be a great fight. I think it's I think it's a real good one, but then we move to the main event, which can only be fired. Yeah, I Couldn't agree more with you. The omelet fight, Eggington and Cheeseman, egg and cheese. I I think that you know everybody's excited for this one, and rightly so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, um, I just hope I hope it is what we think is going to be. I think it would be so anticlimactic if. If it does turn into you know a bit technical or you know Ted tries to box because you know we I in his last fight you see, you know Ted was sort of boxing a bit more was using his feet a bit better but I can't see it I just think they're both gonna come Sam Egerton doesn't do off the back foot does he literally walks forward and throws punches it could it's, it's, I think this could be an absolute war of two guys. I can't, you know. I was obviously looking at, them. I forget, you know, Sam Eggington. is only twenty six. I think he's about thirty odd, you know. I'm so accustomed to him, and the same with, you know, Ted. He's only twenty four. They're both 10, quite young. Twenty four
0: um, and twenty six. unbelievable. they're both quite yeah, they've yeah, so, been in, um, yeah, the kind of how long we have been around? You know, it's a, it's a, the, the and Sam Eggington. He's an absolute throwback fighter, isn't he? He has, he has no off switch. He has no backward step in him. It's just a threshing machine, and he just walks forward no matter what's coming the other way. And I think <laughs> that he, he is the ingredient that will light this up. And if Cheeseman decides to engage, then it will be the war that we think. I was watching the, um, the Hearn-Bellew uh, podcast preview show thing, and Bellew said something that really stood out for me, and I think that it's, I think that it's the absolute key to this fight. And it's if, if Cheeseman has enough power to gain Eglinton's respect... Then he can win the fight. If he can't get his respect in the first two rounds, he's in a world of shit. That's what Bell, you said, and I, totally, I yeah. totally agree. I think that the defining factor in this fight will be how hard can Cheeseman hit? Because the only people <laughs> that have kept Eggington off are big punches, guys that will step in and hit him. Liam Smith, you know, guys that will really put, pop on those shots. If Cheeseman can't hurt yeah. him, he can't win this fight. Because Sam Eggington, I know he's got losses, but he's consistent, and if he's fit and if he's on for it, which I'm sure he will be, I think he's going to absolutely you know walk down Cheeseman if if Cheeseman can't hold him off
1: do you think that um maybe we could see like you know i I just said maybe a bit a bit tactical from Cheeseman you know in the Fitzgerald fight you saw him. You know, at the, at the beginning, the first sort of six, five or six rounds, he was sort of moving really well off the back foot, you know, wasn't engaging. Do you think that maybe uh, Ted is going to try to lull Sam into this war? I think and, that there's a possibility He's going to try it, and even outbox him, or do you think that's you know, just not yeah, going to happen?
0: Zebra can't change its stripes, in a way. I think Ted Cheeseman, although he's young in the game, he's a very, very, he seems to be quite a pig-headed individual. He seems to be quite yeah. set in his ways and quite... I don't know, that, that sounds like an insult. It's not. He, he's just he's a certain type of fighter. And he looked out of place, you know. He looked like he was trying to do something that he didn't that wasn't working. Do you know what I mean? And Fitz, Fitzgerald is, you know, he's the back foot fighter and he he was on the back foot waiting for Cheeseman to come to him. And then Cheeseman yeah, never yeah, did, yeah. he just kind of did did an impression and a fairly creditable impression of a back foot fighter. But for me in that fight, that's what it seemed like. It seemed like an impression of a back foot fighter. You know, he'd seen what Sergio Garcia had done to him on the back foot, popping and moving and just giving him a boxing lesson. And then he tried to imitate mm-hmm. that style when it isn't his style. And what he should <laughs> be improving on is cutting off the ring and working body shots and, you know, closing the distance effectively and working from the corner and backing off the ropes. You know, he should have been working on other stuff instead of just doing an impression of what beat him. And I think that if he tries that against someone, like, I know if it's against somebody who's a, a legitimately good pressure fighter like Sam Eggington, it's going to be again, in a world of shit, because if you want to, you know if you box against a counter-fighter boxer right, like Scott Fitzgerald mm. okay, it's not going to be pretty and it's going to be boring for several rounds, but you're not going to get hit, either you? Because you're going to be back, you're both backing off, but if you back off and you don't know how to back off intelligently and and shift your weight and spin yeah. out, then Sam Eggington will put you in a corner and he'll hammer at you for 20 minutes, and I think that because Sam Eginton will just go and he'll keep throwing punches. He is a threshing machine of a fighter. And I think that <laughs> if Ted Cheeseman tries to box, he's going to end up giving himself a headache that he doesn't need. Because I think that he is a fighter and he is a brawler. And trying to change that is 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 not going to work against somebody who is used to fighting guys like that are going to try and do that to him. At the beginning, I was... I, okay, was I gave him a The, 50. the you, closer uh, we get, the right? more I have faith in Sam Edgerton doing the job. Um, that might be because I've met him and I like him. <laughs> I know we were talking about this bias before with you and uh, you and Gav Gwynn. But no, I've met Sam Egginson and he's a lovely fella and I really like him. And <laughs> I watched him fight and he fights well even in defeat. I watched him fight uh, Liam Smith and he went out with his heart and his sleeve. And I don't think Cheeseman has... I don't think Cheesman has that. I think I don't think he's got that
1: yeah.
0: uh live or die cavalier attitude. You know, he seemed to be crushed by the defeat to Garcia and he was seething in the ring when uh, when um when he got that uh the decision against well, both Conway and Fitzgerald. And Sam Eggington, if he goes out and he loses, he shakes the opponent's hand, he shrugs his shoulders and he carries on. He's got a bit of a swashbuckling yeah. attitude to fighting and I think that's the way you beat Ted Cheeseman. Uh, I really do. And again, I, I didn't think I was going to take this stronger stance. But the more I talk about it, the more I talk myself into this viewpoint.
1: Um... Yeah, and I mean, and uh, I mean, Erkington's got the momentum. You know, he's got four wins in a row. You look at Ted Cheeseman. Ted Cheeseman, absolutely. You know, yeah, he's a got loss, that a and draw you know, and a loss. Not, he's not. Had so a win from you know, momentum lies you know, with Sam. He's really
0: stunted his career. And Sam Eggington has reinvented himself once again. You know, this is probably the third iteration of him coming back and fighting on. So yeah, no, I think it's. I think it's. I'm going to go 60-40 to Eggington, but (laughs) I'm sure it's a good fight. I'm sure that Cheeseman gets frustrated and tries to knock him out, and then we get a war. I think there's a lot of good fights in and around 154. Where do you see? um, Where do you see the winner um, going from here? Cheeseman is to win. I think it's and I think it's Fowler or Fitzgerald, whoever's got the British title. I think that Cheesman's level is British title level, and I think that he can be in you know he either rematches Scott Fitzgerald, tries to avenge that loss, or yeah. I think him and Fowler a great fight. I think that will be a war for a British title. Um, Eggington, on the other hand, if he wins, I think he's got a lot more to give on a world stage because of how exciting he is and how consistently exciting he is we've got a lot of world champions and European level fighters, you know, the likes of a Sergio Garcia who don't really have opponents. Why not have somebody who's flawed, but always exciting. I think Sam Eggington's selling points are unique. And I think that he can really sell himself and talk his way into a big fight. You know, he was, he was on the verge of fighting Brandon Rios at one point over in Vegas in a mega fight. And I think that he's not that far off again. If he gets a big win over cheese, I think he can, you know, a fringe world title contender, a European title, or maybe even, you know, we've got the belts are completely splintered. You know, you've got the Charlo brother, you've got Costano, Williams, Rosario, Heard. There's a lot of big names and they all need opponents. And I think Sam Eggington fits the bill for an opponent.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... I couldn't really agree more. Just look at the division, like you just said, there's so many people, isn't there? And I think there's so many... Um, potential fights out there that sounds great with Sam Ergenden next to it. You know, if, when you think of, you know, you know, Brian Carlos Castano versus Sam Ergenden sounds great. It doesn't really sound as good with Ted Cheeseman next to it. I don't know why that is, but I don't know. I just think Sam, like you said, with his pedigree, I think, uh, yeah, I think he's got another bright future, like you said. Exactly, uh, but again, and South. that's the thing. I, I think, think Sam, Sam Ergenden
0: uh, yeah, has it, a unique selling point on the world stage. To do, Ted Cheeseman just completely lacks. And I don't know why that is, but it is a bit of an X factor, you know. He's, he, he's a flawed fighter; they're both flawed fighters. But you know, Sam Eggington will give you excitement, and I think that th- those fighters always get their shot, you know, whether they deserve it or not.
1: And I think I think from a, a opponent's point of view, looking at Sam Eggington you see a lot of holes on you. You think, oh, I can beat this guy. Exactly, he he's gets just underestimated just because he's just got just those losses, because he's yeah. able I he's think he maybe gets hit, underestimated a bit too much as well. He is
0: a legitimate fighter and he's proved that in fights against, you know, the likes of Frankie Gavin, of uh, admittedly an old Paulie Malignaggi, but he really hurt Malignaggi in that fight and it was looked dangerous. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's not one of them where, if, if you're not on the top of your game, you're not going to beat yeah. him. You know, only the very best, Liam Williams, really did him in. And it's I think it's... I think it's a great fight at the weekend and I think that Sam Eggington yeah. if he does win, as I'm gonna predict, I think he'll push forward. What what's your final prediction for that fight?
1: Yeah. he's been a quite difficult me to disagree now. <laughs> um yeah, no, I I I think if it if it's a war, I think Sam Erginger wins. I think Potentially, it could become a boring fight, and if I think that's the case, maybe Cheeseman gets a decision, maybe Ergenden gets a little bit frustrated, leaves a few gaps, takes a few shots, which may sway the judges. You know what big shots are like sometimes. Um, but if I, if I was to put money on it, I think I'd, I'd have to agree with you and say, I think uh, Ergenden by... I've got, that. I've got TK that as well, I've got an Edmonton TKO. TK. We'll just quickly go
0: and back, and back down the card point. and I'll get minus the questions on all the fights and then we'll uh, wrap this up. So we'll go back down. Tennyson Gwynn, who are you picking? Tennyson, I assume.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, i, go got, I got, I'm I'm Garvin, go points decision. i agree take take with you on the outcome, but I think
0: it's just that little edge. Wardley for Lily. Where are you going for that one? I'm the same. I'm going to pick I'm Wardley KO. Go I'm going to go or early or rounds. I think he's, I Wardley think he's the real deal. I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out as that, that's all I seem to be doing today. I'm going to do it again. You know, three or four rounds. Uh, three or four rounds. Why not? Uh,
1: <laughs> uh Oof. Tough one. I think Jordan Gill With the with the skills that he has With the desire That's going to be needed to win this fight He has to win it I think he's going to win it And I think I think he'll be You know I don't know By a few rounds And it may be fourth I think it could be a bit of a masterclass Because I think that's what Jordan uh, I'm going to uh, On the offer. same logic But I think I think Gill's really going to come in there With a bit of
0: a Gill. vendetta And I think he's going to prove a point I'm going to go for a late stoppage Nine, ten, eleven. I think I think uh, Gill's going to force the referee to make a decision later on in that fight. I think it's going to be uh, I think it's going to be the coming out party for Jordan Gill. And finally, Dalton Smith. Do we think Dalton Smith can pass the eight round test?
1: I think so. Yeah. I mean, it'd be great to see. You know, for Dalton Smith's. Um, Sort of professional development. It'd be great to see him do eight rounds and, you know, put on maybe a bit of a boxing masterclass. So I'm going to go for I'm going yeah, to go for Doctor Smith. I'm going to go I for think. the same thing. I think I
0: think Nathan I Bennett think, will yeah, be some quite but, again, wide on points a, a bit of a
1: like masterclass that.
0: there. All right. So we're coming to the end of uh, of this week's episode of Let's Talk Boxing. Again, I'd just like to have a massive thank you to you, Scott, and Southwest Boxing Media. Yeah, Southwest Boxing Media for for letting you come on. Um. We will see ah, you all sorry, next time. My
1: Thanks for having me on.